Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. We're a podcast. <laughs> Come on, man. We're a podcast Hi. for knife makers, blacksmiths, bladesmiths. You're in your shop. We're keeping you company. My name's Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. Usually, Mareko Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts is here, or, and Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, but not today. I'm very fortunate. I have the great Ashley Childs here with me in the shop. Oh, wow. Sounds so nice. <laughs> Ashley Childs is a jeweler. She's a blacksmith. She's a, a, a student of the great Seth Gould. She has traveled the world down to Argentina. She's in Wyoming right now. She's the first female knife maker at New West Knife Works in Wyoming. She's currently traveling the East Coast, going from shop to shop. She was down over up at the New, uh, New England School of Metalwork. She saw Jesse Savage. She's Josh Prince. She's here in Peekskill over here with me. And she's headed down the Center for Mental Arts. AC, welcome aboard. How are you? I'm so good. <laughs> this is really exciting. You I, are... I'm, I'm having the best time. All right, great. Like, you... just being here. Well, you know, you are a very great spirit. You know, a huge fan <laughs> of yours is Steve Schwartzer. He sent me this message saying, what a great spirit you are in the community. And I'm really glad to know you. And I really kind of want to, we're going to do the podcast. We're going to have some fun. We're going to answer some questions, but I really kind of want to get to know who you are. How did you get into metalworking? Um, well, I'm obsessed with Legos as a kid. That was just kind of apparent. Taking apart stuff around the house. Um, I started doing beaded, ugly beaded jewelry when I was really, really young. And then... Um, just kind of, you know, tore the family house apart with basically whatever tool I could find. And then found myself uh, super into photography in Vermont, silver gelatin printing, very hands-on, old school craft. And then um, ended up at art school. And Where did I, you go? I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. I was not prepared, <laughs> I was not prepared for the conceptual level. Of it, which was just, just wasn't. Um, but I refused to go to a school that required SATs. Was, I'm not doing that. <laughs> how many schools? I'm not a number. <laughs> how I many schools? How many schools so don't many. require? Really? So, yes. I was All like, right. No way. Fuck that. So I went to art school, and uh, 
the the reason why I love this school, minus getting in fights with my professors, because that it was right. it was brutal. But they had wood shop. I did wood shop. I did ceramics. I did bronze casting was my favorite. And then I went into light metal casting, silver. I did uh, art history, interior architecture. You know, studying like the greats. You know, Brancusi, Giacometti. Um, I think the art world, you really gain a perspective of design and color and movement, which a lot of my work kind of has like a very similar aesthetic over the years. Um, it was it was fantastic. Um, and the jewelry world was came from light metals. Got a job with the jeweler Ellie Thompson in Chicago. Huh. Um, still working with her, you know, ten, fifteen years later, and she, you know, deep dive into the jewelry world, and I started. I just kind of rolled with it, just dove in. That's a great, you know, small metals and the whole idea of jewelry is such a great way to get involved in metalworking because it's very, it's very approachable. Right. You don't need forges, you, you don't, don't need anvils, you don't need a lot of equipment. You can really kind of make it happen. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that idea of like creating and deconstructing and building again. How did you get into metalwork? <laughs> I mean, like bigger metalwork. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing oh, the yeah. jewelry and now how do we get into Seth Gould, Penland School, Ooh, metalwork and all that? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I secretly do... I. I did a lot of larger sculpture work, like with uh, plaster. And um, a good friend of ours of the family, Jerry Coe, is a blacksmith in Berkeley. Hmm. He, in the 70s, uh, went on a trek with my parents in Japan, because they're big travelers. And uh, we, he's been a friend of the family my whole life. So my mother, <laughs> talked my mother into a, a bronze forging class uh, near his shop that he was teaching maybe six or seven years ago. And then a couple years later, uh, he went to Buenos Aires and met all these um, restoration blacksmiths and uh, local blacksmiths in Buenos Aires. And he put together this sculpture group program thing for 10 days. And he was emailing me like two times a week, three times a week. Ashley, you have to come on this trip. It's going to be amazing. Like, You'd have so much fun, blah, blah, blah. So I finally went. And I'm just saying, I mean, I went from sitting in a chair as a jeweler to forging serious, not very hot iron because the forge was just kind of falling apart yeah. in the middle of this, this, uh, this square. And uh, I threw my back out, actually. Was that the, you did? Was that I the first time you ever forged steel? This was the first time I forged iron, and John Weiner took me under his wing. Heather McClarty was there, Victoria Patty, Kirk McNeil, Brett Moten. I mean, I had no idea who these people were. Right. Their caliber, I had no, I was, this was my first intro, the serious blacksmith thing. Um, I had the best time. I threw my back out five hours before getting on the airplane. To go home. It was, ah. there's no, I'm, t wheelchair status. We oh, wheelchair oh, status. Oh, really? Three airports. Heather McClarty carried all my bags, and we pretended we were family. Shout and out to Heather. Heather McClarty also is a repose master smith. I'm just saying. Her work is okay. incredible. And, uh, yeah, it was three months of just getting myself back. To Why do you think you threw your back out? I was dehydrated. Oh. 
I was using, I was ergonomically probably foraging incorrectly. Hmm. We were at three days of just constant, like, we were kind of under the gun to get these these uh, projects finished. There was a Timofey from uh, Russia designed this park bench. We were making rivets. You know, it was it was a lot of hard, like fast work. Yeah. And I wasn't really into like the, in that kind of. I mean, and if anyone has serious back issues, the one thing that saved me was foundation training. Huh. It's what's that? It's all about like this guy studied gorillas, and it's. Our bodies were meant to squat. We're not supposed to be in chairs. So I had to rebuild all my hamstring muscles and my glutes and my upper back and my core. So it was it was a couple of months of like serious rehabilitation. It was awful. Like wow. if you've ever pinched your sciatic nerve, it's it's everything in your body is paralyzed. You can't move your neck, your arms, you have to crawl to the bathroom. It's 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 uh it's quite enlightening. I will say that. So so but you didn't give up. I would no, say a lot no, of people no. would have been like, I'm not doing this again. Nope. There is something that happened, about, especially coming from the joy world and the art world. The, cal- the caliber and quality of people involved with blacksmithing, just metalworking of this, cal- this kind of nature, there's just something about these people that it's so raw, so real, genuine, no bullshit. And the authenticity, the sharing of how to do things, how to move metal, they want, they want to help each other, especially in these big projects or like little tips and tricks. That doesn't happen in the art world. Yeah. It doesn't happen in the jewelry world very well. Either. Yeah. And that was, I needed that. Like, I need that, that genuine, genuine generosity of like, I'm a part of something we're all part of this and we're all we're it's a dangerous trade there's serious serious precautions you have to take when you're forging or making knives and the, you know han's primitive precision he has a bullet bullet shot out of that piece of uh the uh the hammer he was slinging yeah and it missed his heart by two, two inches there, there are a lot of stories of of those so kinds I'm of like saying like Everyone's yeah. kind of we're all in this together. Well, it's mentality. interesting. It's interesting what you said in regards to the the art world versus the blacksmithing world. Yeah. Because, <laughs> well, if you if you really break down what an artist is doing or a sculptor is doing, it's the most it's the most pure form of narcissism. Uh, yeah. So you're what you're trying to do is you're trying to make something original, and you're trying to put it out in the world and for it to say something. And I think that when you get like that and you don't want to be influenced by other people, you don't want to, you want to have your own voice and this is your art, you end up becoming, (laughs) you end up becoming much more insular because all of a sudden you start to notice people ripping you, you know? And I think Uh, that, I think that in the blacksmithing world, there really, it's blacksmithing world, bladesmithing world, there is, it's a, it's hard to be super, super innovative to the point where no one's going to touch you. So there's a lot of little things to get to the final aspect that you can trade tips with people and it can be more of a community uh, experience. I know a lot of artists, they're scum, you know, and and it's fine, (laughs) you know, it's totally fine. But I'm fascinated by that you said that because it is true. And I'm going to make a, is there a connection between um, the guy you were talking about? I forgot his name. Jerry Coe. Jerry Coe and your relationship with Patagonia. Yes. Big, big time. Go ahead. So, <clears throat> and this was 
Buenos Aires was before I went to Penland, but um, that's a whole other. We're getting there. Okay, Don't worry, so, we're getting there. So Patagonia came to me last month after the Blade Show. I checked my email at a gas station. I get this email from this guy, Jason. I read it three times. I thought it was spam. It's like, this is, what the fuck? Get, yeah. get, that, get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Like, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. So I read it again. I read it again. And I realized, wait a minute. This, this, this is real. And I emailed him back. So Jason is the new marketing director of uh, Patagonia's workwear program. And I've been noticing that they're doing some uh, commercials about uh, people out in the field in their workwear, um, mostly outdoors kind of stuff. So Jason and I had a really, really long talk. Um, so basically, a few years ago, Jericho, I was living in Ojai, California. Okay. Escaped, escaped L.A. for a hot second. Uh, he said, hey, Ashley, my buddy, is opening up his forge again. And um, I'm going to go down there. I want My you to come, buddy. Yeah, I want you to come with me. And uh, we're going to take apart his little 60-pound little giant. Yeah. Uh, clean it up. Uh, da, da, da. I was like, cool, rad. You know, maybe we'll forge something. Great. Um, <laughs> so I, I, get, I see the address, and I'm like, wait, this is, this is uh, Ventura's Patagonia, like, you know, headquarters. What? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, text me back. Yeah, I'm just coming. Just go around the back to this gate. And I walk back there, and there is this makeshift little tiny forge. And it says Chenard Incorporated in, like, 30-year-old wood, you know, painted. All the paint's coming off. And there is this tiny little guy, Yvonne Chenard, standing there. Like, just, hey, what's up? <laughs> shuffling around, you know, sweeping, cleaning things up. And the first thing I thought was... Oh my God, he's tiny. He can climb all these mountains around the world. I can do anything. <laughs> this is the founder of Patagonia. This is the guy. So Jerry Coe worked in Yosemite in the 60s, and he was obsessed with climbing. He worked uh, at his, uh, Yosemite's Historical Society, fixing wagon wheels and doing blacksmithing. And he met Yvonne in an ice climbing class. And that's when Yvonne was forging these pitons for his buddies. For like a dollar fifty each, all mm. different sizes. Um, and they have been friends since then. Uh, Jericho was uh, Yvonne called him up a couple years after he started his work, his uh, police, you know, Patagonia clothing line, and said, "Hey, Jerry, it's Yvonne. Can you put on this sweatshirt and climb up this mountain? We, we, need, <laughs> we need to take a picture of you." And like, "Yeah, sure, man." So. Jerry Coe is also in this one of the first catalog covers for Patagonia huh. back when it it was first got started when he was reaching out to hunters and fishermen and climbers and like oh just put on these clothes and we'll take a picture of you he you know he is I I years ago I, I kind of I found out that he started was it Pacific Pacific he, Ironworks uh, Great think, Pacific Ironworks yeah something but like that his tool his his piton t- climbing tool company turned into Black Diamond. Oh, really? He didn't like how it became like a sport. Right, right. He didn't like that. So he, and he didn't want to run two businesses. So he sold the Black Diamond or something. And then he had, you know, he and his wife, Melinda, are like a super, she's amazing. Oof, I love, I love Melinda. She is a woman I respect and admire. Hmm. 
she basically runs the company. So what happened was, is that when I was forging in Oregon last month after the Blade Show with Neil Kamamura, right. uh, Heavy Metal Forge, Matt Myers, and his son Woody, amazing human beings, I posted these pictures on Facebook. Jerry sent them to Melinda, and Melinda just sent them off to Jason and was like, here. This is the perfect person go, for go, you. Go, go, go. Right. There you go. Yeah. And, you know, Melinda, she's got, you know, you don't, you just do what she says. Right. So, Jay, that's why I got the email. Well, you know, Patagonia has always been one of those companies that I've always supported because I like the idea, you know, I like, I like their philosophy in business oh, and yeah. their, their clothes are always, always really very good. But yeah. I like the fact that they're pushing towards, you know, people are doing things, you know, yeah. I, I always, their catalogs are always like climbers and all these people who are actually like, getting out from behind their desk and they're actually doing things. So I don't, when I found out that he had that, you know, he had a little giant back in the sixties, the seventies. And I'm not, (laughs) of course it has to trust me. We had little giants all over the country. They're, you know, hundreds of years old. There's no reason why they shouldn't be. But the fact that he was, he was, I always felt that he was the most, one of the most innovative blacksmiths of our time because he was using you know, the idea of manipulating mass to create something useful Better. for now. Well, their pitons that they were used to using were coming from Europe and they were snapping. Oh, really? They were, they were crap. And Yvonne was like, this is bullshit. Yeah, I want to climb mountains. I'm going to die. I need a tool to do it. And he learned from this French guy, wrote it down, I totally forgot his name. Fine, don't worry. Uh, and the French guy showed him how to forge better more stable pitons for this, what he was doing to climb. And that's, he just wanted to climb. Right. He just, I need a tool. I'm going to make it. But this is the question that, you know, um, I talk to Jesse Savage all the time who you just saw. Yeah. And we constantly talk for years. I've been asking the question, what is, what is the role of the modern day blacksmith? I mean, a lot of times, especially with my experience of ornamental ironwork, you know, you're doing old school things, you're doing Baroque, you're doing scrolls Forge and stuff welding. from the, you know, but you're doing stuff that's like exists from the past. How do we become more innovative to the point where blacksmiths are more valued right now? And when I look at people like who's doing something that's innovative in terms of right now, I always think of Yvonne because, you know, that was, he was, he was filling a hole that was needed in what he needed to do in his life right. that you couldn't do with whatever. Right. You know, so. That's all. That's amazing. So, what are you going to be doing with Patagonia? So, um, there's been quite a number of emails back and forth. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but he he's mentioning a lot about like filming, and I we talked for a couple hours. The emails are very long. I know. I don't know how this has happened over the past few years, but I know a lot of extremely old school talented smiths around the country right i don't know how it happened i'm just great at just putting myself out there now uh cba california blacksmithing association i met tim cisneros oh yeah he's the man he's a he's a he he, rick barter does a lot with him and he's a great woodworker and i kind of started island hopping you know puddle just going from forge to forge i started with tim and if the next person i'd meet would know tim you know traveling around as a single woman still have to keep you know the safety up if you know tim or you know of him yeah then you, i i'm in right but you know i will gauge who i'm going to hang out with 
Tim's like my tar- starting point. And uh, so basically, Jason and I spoke about how Tim and one of this other guy trekked out in the middle of the desert 15 or 20 miles and hauled back this old wrought iron from an abandoned mining town. I mean, this is standard. Every blacksmith, every bladesmith, every metal worker you've ever met has a scrap pile. Yeah. That's just standard. Yeah, of course. So Jason, who knows nothing about this trade, was fascinated with that. And I said, well, there's your story, buddy. And I'm going to then introduce you to all of these amazing people around the country because this is a story that people, I think it's valuable. How much waste there is, but then yet how much coveted wrought iron and old steel and junk, you know, Neil forging all these knives out of old junkyard, uh, you know, car, spring steel, and leaf spring. I think that's that's an important thing to talk about. Yeah. Because it is definitely... It's right up Patagonia's alley. It's definitely something that, especially in the, in the way we look at things now and, and trying, you know, the idea of waste and, you know, the idea of blacksmithing, especially bladesmithing, was the concept of taking valuable material and stretching it to its limit. Right. You know, and not just, you know... It's not just, it's, there's like almost no waste. Um, you're, you're forging it and you're manipulating the mass to, to kind of go as far as it can go to make what you want to make. So what, I'm going to just change gears a little bit. What, what got you down to see um, Seth Gould? And I know Seth Ooh. Gould. I've never met Seth Gould, <laughs> but I know that he was teaching, um, he was teaching, he, he's known for Forge and Filed. Okay, it's called Planet Gould. Okay. He's his own all planet. Right, all right. All right. So. He's. He was. I know that he was teaching at Center for Mental Arts, and he did a hacksaw class with oh Pat Quinn. And I know, if, and and it looked amazing. So how did you? And he and he's really known for he makes he's a he makes old school lock boxes and yeah. locks, and the work he does is phenomenal. Is beyond incredible. It, it, it is like now. is jaw dropping. Yeah, he is a national treasure. How did you get involved with Seth? Um. After Buenos Aires, I came back to the States and went to a CBA event. I met the director of the Penland Iron Studio, Daniel Beck, who introduced me to Jay. And that Jay was my first two-month iron concentration. Jay Burnham Kidwell, classical blacksmithing intro class. Kicked my ass, totally worth it. And when I was there at Penland in 2016, Seth was a resident artist, and he was forging and filing the coffer, that big famous coffer with the two keys. He yeah. was in the midst of forging that entire thing. So I got to see just when it was sort of half finished in and, and all these parts. Um, came back home from Penland, hit the ground running with my jewelry business. Long story short, I went from the offices of W Magazine. And um, that's like the Bible, fashion, global fashion magazines. And I came home and I had a serious breakdown and realized I need to change my life. Right. Got an email from Penland. Um, signed up for it. And Seth Gould's class was doing a two-month fall concentration. Yeah. And I signed up and I was put on the waiting list. And I told myself... It was a two-month-long class? It's a two-month-long class. Wow. It's, called the iron, it's called the concentration, fall concentration. And I, personally, I, I had the time to do it and the willingness, and it's not easy. It's not easy to do that every day for two months, especially when you're learning and you're taking notes and you know, everything's new. 
So I, I told myself if I got into Seth's class, because Seth was someone coming from Jay's really raw classical forging. Seth is more refined tool making. And I said, look, Ashley, if you get into his class, you're going to leave California. You're going to drop your jewelry business and you're going to get a new life. That's exactly what happened. That's huh. exactly what happened. I couldn't believe it. I left Los Angeles with no job, no housing. I had one month until uh, the school, the class started in North Carolina at Penland. And I magically found housing in Jackson on my way. And everything just fell into place. Wow. I met Morgan Keenan in Jackson, who worked at New West, where I work now. So we were in touch because I, I wanted that knife job when I got back to Jackson, which I didn't get for a little while. Right. So I go to Penland, Seth Gould's class. Not only is he a phenomenal teacher, but every step was like first we did uh, calipers and uh, tapering, and then we did double calipers, and then we did a square, and then we would forge the hammers. So every time you made a tool, the previous tool would help make the next tool. Smart. So anybody who wants, I'm just going to say this right now, and this also comes from Nick Rossi. If you want to learn how to forge a blade, hands down, please go take a basic fundamentals blacksmithing class. That's the ground zero. I swear to God. You got to know how to taper. You, I mean, you got to learn how to use your tongs. You got to learn how to use the heat. That's just basic. So right. Seth's class was, and the filing detail comes in handy for, especially as a jeweler. I mean. And even in knives, um, it's a really nice, slow way, really quiet. I like filing. Yeah. No. Um, it, it was a life-changing class. I opted out of the lock uh, week because <laughs> I was really obsessed with forging hammers. So I have like, I'm just a hammer. I love I, something about a hammer. I want to live my life by the hammer. It's, it's um, bigger. It's intention. It's the way. It's just a beautiful tool that has a lot of significance. That's that's amazing. I, I, I he that whole concept of forge and filed is so fascinating because, you know, I always when I look at different types of sculpture in general, um, if you look at blacksmithing, blacksmithing is so close to sculpture because it's it's similar to pottery in the sense of you're manipulating the mass, mass yeah, versus, mass. you know, well, for the, for lack of a better term, you know, stock removal is kind of like carving because you're. The the knife is always supposed to be is in that steel and you just have to release it. Right. So there's different types of, you know, addition and, and subtractive. And the forge and file is a little bit of both because you're you're manipulating the mass with the the forging, but then you're making these nice little details, your refinements yeah. with the filing. It, but he set himself up to have it's like the best of both worlds. It's this, it's this, it's this, the ornamentation. I mean, that's one of the, I mean, he's not the reason why, but I've always liked when I first started making knives and I worked with um, Matt Paul, he showed me one of his knives that had file work on, on the spine. And I was like, that's such a great little addition. It sets you apart it, sometimes. Well, it's just a nice little, to me, it was in this nice ornamentation. And then I have that on all my knives because I just thought like it's just a very nice little or ornamentation. So all my I do a little filing on all of them. Um, so I totally. But I mean, what to the extent of what he does, it's just I mean, it's just incredible. And I know that he listens to this podcast. He sent me a nice message. Hi, Seth. 
Hi, Seth. <laughs> so, so you finished that class. You made a pile of hammers. I got you got your bag out here. You brought all your hammers. We're gonna check them out oh, after the podcast. So and fun. then now you're the first knife female knife maker at the New West. Yeah. New knife. West. New West, West knife, knife works in Jackson. So I go back to Jackson. I poured beer for six months. I finally got the job. Uh, it took about a month to get the groove of. I mean, it's stock removal work. It's a it's a production job. Right. Uh, max, I was doing about 160 knives a week. Right. Um, but um, it's getting the you know refining the handle is all shaped by hand on a a slack belt. Do all the sharpening in house, uh, lasering. The blades. It's S thirty five VN. Comes from a place in New York, I think. Um, Corey Milligan is the owner, and he's a great businessman. He's really, I'm really. It's I I know there's the blade world is very specific, but he kind of has done really well with his business with the colored handles. I respect him very much, and it's a great job. And I get you to go like in. the people that we're working with. All my coworkers right. are. Amazing. There you go. There is another. There's two more women they hired. Oh, good. In the wood shop and okay. making the so the magnet, the boards, the, the board cutting board, yeah. the the knife holding boards. Right, right. Yeah. So, how many people are in that shop? It used to be five when I first started. So Morgan and I were the main knife makers. Morgan Keenan, he's been there about two years. He's probably made like fifteen thousand knives. Mm. <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah. So and then they up production. A lot. Uh, they moved their stu- They moved the shop from Jackson to Victor, Idaho, so they could expand. And then um, they've—I think they've had three to four new knife makers now. Wow. Because um, I'm sort of trickling. I've got some other stuff I'm doing over here, and so they've got more guys coming in to learn how to grind the handles and right. set everything up and do. Uh, and they sell their knives all over the place. They sell. They've got three stores. They sell online. Huh. They're doing really, really killing. Very it. cool. Yeah, yeah. So you're enjoying the. So now you've trans. You've gone from the jewelry world to the blacksmithing world, and now you're in the knife world. And with that said, you've become. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, as far as Steve Schwarzer is concerned, he that you become <laughs> this <right>. wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. You're this wonderful shining light in this community. <laughs> Wait, so I met Steve, right? Like an hour after we were talking and he's in a, he's just taking me all over the place yeah. in the late show. Yeah. He calls his wife. Yeah. Sends sends a picture. Who is a very ex- extraordinary, extraordinary knife maker in herself. Incredible. Laura. She's the first she's the first uh uh, 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 uh journeyman smith. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah she's the first right. female journeyman smith, I believe. <laughs> so he called his wife and he's like, "I met this girl named Ashley. Can we keep her?" That's hilarious. <laughs> he's such a good dude. He he's amazing he actually this morning he sent me a message i want to come on the podcast i said i said when we get our phone line squared away you're on the top of the list he's awesome so what so now now we got the whole story we know who ashley is we're getting a good feeling now you're on this incredible voyage you started off in chicago and then you headed over to you saw Jesse uh, Savage Jesse, and Carrie. I've been wanting to meet Jesse forever. I love his. It's a good dude. Movie. Oh, oh, they're it's a good amazing. dude. Dude, they gave me a T-shirt. Yeah, and like we we forged tongs and a bottle opener. Got my, you know I got back. You know I needed a little little workout session before yeah. next class. That's a smart move. Yeah, yeah, I needed that. Super smart move. Get back, get back in the groove, swinging the hammer again. Um, I mean his shop is really cold. 
Was this this, yeah. this jacket I've got on like really came in handy? This Patagonia this, jacket this, work hashtag hashtag Patagonia workwear baby. <laughs> oh my god! All right, calm me down, no, no, seriously, it's like the skew number five seven two four five fifteen percent off. You say Ashley Childs? No, don't do that. Whatever you do, no. <laughs> don't don't put any. There's no promo codes Dude, for Patagonia. My toes. But if you do order from Patagonia and write Knife Talk ten, they're gonna give you nothing <laughs> except for it'll be funny to me. It'll be funny to me. Why See what this? happens. Put a knife talk ten. I want to get that call saying, "What the fuck? Who's knife talk ten? <laughs> so you were with Jesse and Carrie, and you made you made some tongs and a bottle opener. Tong making, basic. That's gotta you gotta know how to do it, man. You just do. It's you a need the tong making tongs. You know the fu- the real funny thing is not funny. I started making tongs for when I started doing tongs. I was learning how to do it by yourself, and it was a, it was a, a the, there's a m- many different ways to make tongs. And when I, I, I was at maker camp with, uh, Jesse, I made tongs the way he makes tongs with a striker Yeah. because there's the fascinating thing with blacksmithing is, you know, you learn how to do blacksmithing by yourself, but then when you're doing team striking, it's almost like a different language because I was I was helping him. I was striking, making the hammers and I was making the tongs and I was watching what he was doing. And we kind of like the way I make tongs, the way he makes tongs, it was like two, a fork in the road. And we both like kind of veered away. And I was like, all right, I'm on this road. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I had no idea what the hell was happening, but it was so fascinating. I love the concept of that, that striker using strikers. Yeah. And it's changed the way a lot of people, it's, I think a lot of people don't realize that like stuff like the height of your anvil is oh. based on oh, yeah. how you're forging. Like if you're forging by yourself, you're forging where you're, you know, a lot of times you'll have it, you know, to the top of your knuckles. But if you're forging with a striker a lot, you need that hammer to be much lower, uh, that anvil to be much lower yeah. so you can maximize the swing of your striker. So I know Jesse's set up. I know he's got that beautiful little 25 pound little giant. Um, he's, his ha- some That's of his great. anvils are low, are low. He's got a pile. Yeah. I call it the anvil orchard. You got a bunch of you got a bunch of anvils over there. I'm a little jealous. Yeah, oh, everybody I think is. Anvils are like tattoos. Like once you get one, you kind of want another. I never thought about it like that, but you're absolutely right. I have two <laughs> anvils here from Jesse, and I'm a little um, obsessed now. he's yeah. That is, there's a lot of guys who just buy anvils. Well, that's how a lot of guys get into business. Yeah. Like my old boss, who started the Center for Metal Arts, uh, Ed Mack, who passed away a few years ago. He started out, but he was a tool collector, oh. and he would buy anvils. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys. Oh, that's how Jesse got into blacksmithing. Jesse got into blacksmithing because he was buying and trading anvils. Anvils are some of those things that are, you know, very, you know, they don't lose value unless you fuck them up. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you can, you know, they, they don't decrease in value generally. And now with Forge and Fire and everything like that, they're way out of control. Oh. The prices are way out of control. So, so then you went from where did you go after okay. you saw Jesse? So then the, literally the next day, I think that was Sunday. I drove to New England, uh, Auburn, Maine, Auburn, Auburn, Maine. Thank you. And, um, my first day, five day class, Nick Rossi, Damascus chef knife class at the New England school of metalwork at the New England school of metalwork. I had signed up like months ago. How many days, how, what, how many days of a class was it? It was five. Wow. It was a, it was a, it was a lot. It was a lot. I have 20 pages of notes. Granted, I was, there were five, there were six students. I'm the only woman. There were two people taking notes, me and this guy, Don. 
Who lives? The other four. There are four. The, or the four Everybody can't else, do it again. All right. That's You're, trouble. Everyone else Trust is me. standing there. With their hands in their pockets. And I just With all thought, due respect, I don't know if you're listening to this, we love you, but you, you got to take some notes. Okay, so what I do have to say about taking classes, A, historically speaking, most of the crafts from like Mesopotamia, Etruscan era, and these were tiny little families, one father teaching his son. We're talking like hunting, butchery, clay, tapestry, blacksmithing, bladesmithing, one-on-one, one human with another human being teaching each other. That hasn't, that's, unfortunately, that's changed given technology. But when it comes to this kind of craft, and I'd say most crafts or arts, that one-on-one physical, hands-on, kinesthetic learning is, I'd say, the best way to learn. Wow. I think you're right. Historically, goes back every single generation well but that's also that's a sociological thing in regards to i mean i've always kind of made the connection with cooking in societies with the blacksmithing and you know if you go to places like france they're making the same bouillabaisse they've been making for a lot or or, you know whatever the same dish for hundreds and hundreds of years generations passing on generations in the united states because of the way things were and supermarkets stuff like that most Americans don't have that sense of no. culinary experience because they, the information wasn't passed along. And I feel the same thing in the United States with blacksmithing when there was the Industrial Revolution and you didn't need blacksmiths anymore and you had machinists and stuff like that. There wasn't this passing along the generation to the point where a lot of information was lost and a lot of innovation was, was really thrown by the wayside because there was no need for blacksmiths anymore. So guys like Nick Rossi, guys like you know Pat Quinn, they're teaching these classes. It's really important because you're like you said, you're bringing back that concept of one-on-one teaching, well, I mean, passing even, along that information. Even Nick coming over and like correcting my body up where how how I was forging and how closer, like David Tuthill and and near uh, Seattle, you know, was like moving my shoulders and then taking his hand and sort of. Um, moving my hand differently the way I was holding the hammer. Right. And I, I, I didn't know I was, you know, going to kill my wrist. Right. And he's like, well, why don't you just turn your hand a little clockwise about an inch and a half? Right. That's, that's why it's so important. Yeah. It's the little things that, it's, the little things that you wouldn't think about. You don't realize. Right. You're going to wake up with a stiff neck. Right. The next day because you were off a little bit. So, so the first day you made Damascus. First day we did Damascus billet. Uh, using coke forges or using we gas did forges? A vertical uh, forge was this vertical two forge. You know what? I think you're gonna have to take the class. To find out. Radio tees. AC yep. with the radio tees. AC here, Nick Rossi, you're my homie. <laughs> if you want to know how I made that Damascus chef knife, you're gonna have to take his class. There you go. Doesn't get much better than that. Away. Don't give it any of it away. Nick Rossi. I'm a giant Nick Rossi fan. We met once at Blade Show. He's just, I couldn't, I, I, I got to tell you, I've, I, there's not another, there's, with a, a few teachers, I never hear the response that people give in the Nick Rossi classes. And, if, and I know a lot of you guys say, ah, I don't have enough money. Oh make God, the, make the, so it's, worthy. you're going to, it's going to propel you in a position. I, I'm looking at the knife that uh, Ashley brought. It is amazing. It is amazing if that's the first knife you've ever forged. Well, Dema- well, Damascus knife, little... Damascus knife, chef knife. It's a long, that's a lot beautiful knife. A process. Well, it's a lot of process. The details involved. 
So yeah, first day Damascus, second day foraging of the billet. Night, the billet. Third day was oh god, I don't remember. Fine. And then we heat did treating, the, and then the hands grinding, and the hand sanding, grinding, and then the hands and hand sanding. Oh, sorry, but hand sanding, awful. Yeah, it's bad. But then you know what makes up for it is the handle. Yeah. The handle. Yeah. I was that was a magical moment, and he's and Nick said welcome. That's the crack of making knives, and now you're gonna to want to make another one. And I said, okay, great, perfect, I'm in. And uh, overall, he's a, not only an amazing knife maker, not only an incredible human being, he's a fabulous teacher. Yeah, he is a great educator. He is a professional educator. He he. There's just something the way, and Seth Gould was the same way. Seth, Seth and Nick taught in a way that, I don't know, it's just yeah. something about that, something about them. Teaching is definitely, you know, the, the, the teaching is one of those things that's, you know, there's some teachers that you just connect with. And a lot of that has to do with the amount of time that they've spent doing the teaching. I've heard nothing but great things about Nick. And, and I'm a, I'm a, I am a fan. And I, that's why on this podcast, I try to send as much business their way as possible. They've never asked me to say anything about the school. I just know because of my experience working with other schools, I understand how important it is. Well, you got to have it. You got to have it. It's it's a give it's it's the fundamentals, it's the basics, but they're going to get you like Ashley said they're going to get you where you need to go. Now I don't have to talk about the school. I don't have to do my little bit, my okay, little bit because I do want to say one go ahead. thing. I'm telling you you can't take this class unless you have your basic fundamental blacksmithing skills. There you go. You gotta come with it. You gotta, you gotta have. You gotta that. have some skills. It helps. Definitely helps. Yeah. So you you made the knife. Then you headed down to. Oh, Josh. We got a little bit. We got a while to go before we start getting into the podcast. We're forty minutes in, and we haven't even gotten in the podcast. We're going along with. Hey, listen, it's Christmas week. We're here with AC. We're hey. here with you. Hi. Merry Christmas. All right. So, so the next stop was Joshua Prince. Oh my God. He's only been blazing for three years. What? He's, yes, I know. He's been a woodworker his entire life, based in Rhode Island. I thought I was just going to stop by the shop and say hi. Oh, wait, wait right before I, I saw Greasy Luck Forge, Thomas Boucher. Shout out to Greasy. Uh, Greasy Luck Forge, the same day. And then I drove down south. I got to see Greasy Luck Forge's uh, little baby, like tiny little locks. He's doing this sort of very Seth Gouldish locks. Right. Great. Amazing guy. And then I saw Josh Prince. Um, I was just going to stop by the shop and just, it's a tiny little shop. But I love, I'm taking notes. You know, I'm doing my homework. I don't, you know, I'm a little commitment phobic, but I'm doing my fine. homework in terms of like college and da da da. So Josh was like, So do you want to make a knife? <laughs> he was so excited. I said, Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> so we forged out this Damascus billet and, um, it was great to work one-on-one with him, too, because he does things a little differently. Yeah. Taking notes from everybody. Right. And uh, sent me home with an insane amount of billets. Nicest guy in the world. And thank you for the billet you gave me, Josh. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm stunned and overwhelmed. <laughs> so you guys forged the knife out. Yeah. You forged some billets out. He is a, he is a, super, he he is is a very is... innovative. He's got his own style. He's breaking apart from a lot of people, and it's really great to see him. He's, He's a true artist. When I first met him at the Blade Show, he couldn't, I mean, he had a, he gave me one of his coins, and he gave me some wood, and we had a nice conversation. He's such a generous, 
sweet guy. He's yeah. a great part of the community. He's Josh is awesome. Okay, it's so great to see. Great to see him. His handle on Instagram is Prince Forge Works. Works Forge. All right, well, Josh. Prince Works Forge. Prince Steve Swartzer even told me this morning and said he is he is really creating some fabulous mosaics. Well, there you go. Don't get much better than that. And you it's get like three years. Yeah, that's amazing. Well. You know, the funny thing is, is, you know, I think that the people who really get the most out of being a blacksmith or a bladesmith are the guys who are like, it's just going to get better next time. Like, it, you have to have the mindset of, I'm not satisfied. I'm not 100% satisfied. I can hang it all up. It's the guys who are like, student for life. I can't wait to see what I can do next. Yeah. Even guys like Steve Schwartzer, who's been doing this for such a long time, he's getting into using lasers and how the lasers are going to help him with he's his knives and he's a, he's just still he's still you know constantly learning and that honestly it isn't even about the knife making it's about life if you, you got to have that something that's going to keep you moving yeah otherwise it's toes up well that first year will make or break someone that's true jay so burnham kidwell told me that all right so you had a great time with josh you're here for the day here we're going to forge a couple things we'll see how it goes then you're off to um, What's next? Well, I was hoping to visit Sunset Forge, New Jersey. Uh -huh. uh, John, big John. He's he's, uh, he's, he's in the midst. John's in the midst. So then, what's next? I don't know. I'm gonna go back through Chicago. Oh, you're not going down the Center for Mill Arts. No, wait. Yes, I am stopping oh, by. Thank God. Okay. So you're There's heading down to Johnstown, PA. Yes, I'm gonna go check out their shop. I'm really excited. Hi, Patrick. I can't wait. I've never met Patrick, but we've been homies on Instagram. He's a good like dude. A couple he's, of years I, I will say I've met him a few times. I he, what love he's... His, his tongs are, I can't handle it. Patrick? I mean, Pat, <laughs> I Pat is it. part of the Carbondale school. So, you know, guys like him and uh, I'm not, you know, Dan Neville and, and all those guys, it's... They're the gold standard of forging. When I when I think of like guys who are for, like crisp, clean, there's no fat on it forging. I think of guys like Cliff Dufton and John Ariani and Jake Farum. And you went to see Jake, Jake. Farum. We, we might have to talk about Jake a little bit. Yeah. And then Pat Quinn and all those guys. It's it becomes this kind of idea of the difference between a knife, a bladesmith, and a blacksmith. Is a blacksmith is they're interested on the outside, whereas the the bladesmith is interesting on the in, interested on the inside. So you're going to head down to see Pat, Pat. a couple days or I don't know, just, a, probably just a day in and out? Gotta, All right. It's going to take a couple days. You got to yeah, hopefully you get to see that giant. They have these oh, giant yeah. hammers. It's just going to be, it's going to be a very, it's going to be awesome. I'm very excited. Super, super awesome. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to just backtrack a little bit. You spent a little time with Jake Farum. I did. Uh, I went to Blade Show, met Steve Schwartzer and Neil Kamen right. Uh Amazing. Somehow I ended up forging a sledgehammer with Neil and Woody and Matt at Heavy Metal Forge in Malala, Portland. That was so much fun. Neil, of course, was like, what do you need a sledgehammer for? And I was like, it's for all the guys who broke my heart. What do you All right, there you, you go. Yeah, Neil, what are you asking so many questions yeah, for, Neil? You, 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 you swing a five-pound hammer yourself. Don't, don't yeah, let yeah, her have whatever she wants, whatever yeah. she wants. So then I did the same sort of island hopping from... Um, Matt's place, yeah. and then I went up north, Seattle, hung out with David Tuthill, and then I, and I mean, I was, I was contacting these guys weeks before, 
Like, I don't just show up. Like, I, are you, are you around? Are you available? I right. love your work. You know, I'm friends with most of these guys. So it was David Todd Hill for a few days in Seattle. And then, um, Jake Farum. And, uh, holy, holy Go ahead. Shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Someone who loves hammers. Yeah. Just because of the tool and everything about it. Jake has been on my list of drool-worthy hammers for a while. And um, <laughs> I was, like, really nervous to be there. His shop is really clean. Yes. He forges very clean. Cleanest. Yep. And uh, He said that on the last podcast. He actually, I asked him for a tip, and he, the only tip he said was, if you keep your shop clean, it'll make your work clean. Yeah. He, and his, there's no fat on his hammers. There's no misfits. There's no little dings. There's no artistry. There's no rustic anything. It's fucking crispy. It's the crispiest, crispy. the crispy, leanest shit you've ever seen in your life. I love his hammers. I yeah. would, I would give, I would give anything to forge like him. His P.S. His hammers are very reasonably priced. I, his prices. Well, there you go. There, there you go, Jake. So, Jake, you gotta raise your know, prices, buddy. Jake, Seriously, well, or, or just you know, let's just be happy with what he's doing here, and let's give him, let's give hey, it out to the bloom hey, guy I here. Had, I had, you know, my third share of you know All right. business bullshit. All right. Okay, so Jake asked, you know, what do you, you want? What do you want to make? And I was like, well, uh, let's make a hammer. We made a French peen hammer, and uh, he was a little wary because he's only made three. Because you got a, you need a striker for that shape, yeah. French peen. Uh, it was it, watching him and 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 take you know getting seeing his toolage, and and different drifts, the different size drifts, and which tongs he was using. I mean, I, this is again one on one being in the same space as someone who's working is just invaluable. I can't thank you enough, Jake. That was incredible. Wow. And there you have it. So what's next for Ashley Childs? I don't know, dude. Right. I'm riding the gravy train. Right. I'm hitting the ground running. I'm winging it. I'm winging it like an eight-year-old in the monkey bars here. I'm on my <laughs> way. I'm on my way to Settle for Middle Arts, uh, back to Chicago, and then to Bozeman probably, and then south back to work next week. Well, that's amazing. I just, I like being on the road. I'm better on the road. All right. Well, what do you think? How do you feel about continuing on the show? Would yeah, you like yeah. to answer let's, some questions? Let's some so questions, here's, so we're going to, we're going to keep going with um, the, our other segment. Uh, hey man, can I ask you a question? The first thing I have to ask you is where do you get your abrasive belts? I'll tell you where you should get your abrasive belts. It's Christmas week. Maybe some of you got some new grinders, but guess what? Without the belts, you can't do shit with them. So what I'm telling you to do is go to combat abrasives. And when you buy your abrasive belts or your glues or your, your compounds, put in Knife Talk 15 and you get 15% off your entire order. It's definitely worth it. Get your shredder belts, get your ceramic belts, get your belts for uh, wood cutting, get your belts for, uh, I like their Scotch-Brite belts. I think that their prices are very good for their Scotch-Brite belts. And 15% off, you can fool around. Get yourself squared away. Knife Talk 15 at Combat Abrasives. Thank you for supporting us. Merry Christmas to you guys over there, and uh, let's get on with the show. So, want, do you want to read the first question, or we'll go back and forth? Okay. Uh, let me let me read the first question, and then we'll go back and forth. Okay. <laughs> so our first, <laughs> you're psyched, right? I'm so excited. This is fun. <laughs> this is super fun. All right. First question. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Comes from Rough Cut Knives. This is a good question. What is, uh, what is the part of knife making that you enjoy most? Um, well, as a production knife maker, 
I really love that moment where I look down at my card and I have 60 beautiful, perfectly shaped ironwood pairings. And there's this moment and I'm just like, I, that was amazing. Right. I'm so proud of myself. Before, before sharpening. Uh, after sharpening. Okay. I mean, there is beauty in the monotony. The, um, it's, sometimes it's a therapeutic activity. Just in the work that I do, there is something therapeutic about that process. And the creative, I mean, when I'm on my own with the creative project, there's the, the art, artistry, like the filing, like the details. It's just gets me. Very cool. I will say that um, I like forging the most, and I like when it's you just finished grinding the handle. Mm. I, hate, I hate grinding the bevels. I'm not, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. I don't, I don't really enjoy hand sanding, but I've gotten to the point where I figured out how to do it in a way that it's painless. And I know that you had your own, you had this funny, you had this funny video from what your time at the New England School of Metalwork where you were like laboring and it was like, welcome oh to God, hell. That was so awful. I, I actually fi- had to figure out a way to teach knife makers or kids how to hand sand because I wanted to be able to do other things without them saying, am I done yet? And what I did was I had to come up with a way to get them mentally, not physically ready, but mentally ready. Because the problem with hand sanding is you never know if it's done. So what I tried to do was I tried to give, and I actually talked to Nick Anger about this. And he says, what do you mean you count your strokes? What are you talking about? And what I did was I came up with this idea from when I had my old, actually, I don't know if you guys are related. My first employee was Carl Childs from back in the day. I don't think he's related. I don't think, I think probably a lot of Childs. There's quite a few of us. Yeah, for sure. So I had to figure out a way to teach Carl how to handstand the way I handstand. And what I did was I actually, that's when I started getting involved with the disc sander. So I could, you know, the idea of handstanding is you have peaks in your valleys, your high points. um, You want to take your high points down your valleys where the grits from your belt, that's your low point. That's your starting point for handstanding. So what I did was I got the belt, the disc grinder, so it would take off those top parts. So it would get me closer and closer to those bottom parts because that's the monotony of, it's the beginning part of hand sanding that's the monotony. So using a disc sander and then getting it down to, you know, 400 grit on the disc sander, changing the scratch patterns so it gives me a good structure and a good starting point for the hand sanding. I would start in hand sanding it with 220 grit. And then not worry about um, J-hooks. And then what I would start to do is I would get with a flat, uh, you know, a piece of wood with whatever, flat wood, and then as a stick. And then at, once I got rid of all the scratches and there were still J-hooks, I got a stick with a little bit of rubber. And then I would pull. I would do pulls and I would count the pulls. And I would pick it up and I put the tip down at the plunge line and do f- pulls and then pick it up and do the same thing. And I would do 100 pulls at 220. And the 100 pulls gets rid of all of your J-hooks. Then I would drop down to 400 grit and do 50 pulls at 400 grit. And what that did is that would just settle down your, um, your lines. It would just kind of ease it up, ease it up, ease it up. And then I would do 50 pulls at 800. This was what I told Carl because. I needed him to not leave and have a disc, have a, have a knife on the bench. And I didn't know where he, I didn't want to start over. When you do it like this, 
you know where you are. And then if you have to leave, you get a Sharpie and said, all right, I'm at 400. So if he writes 400, I know I only, if all I have to go back to is 400, then I know where, where he's at. One of the hardest parts is you're just going, 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 going. And then by the time you get to 800, you're just like, oh shit, I got a 220. I got to go all the way back because I see that scratch. But if you do this in this particular pattern, what you'll do is you will be efficient in terms of your time on having to go back to the 220 grid. So this was a way that I could teach kids to come in. I said, all right, you're going to scratch, scratch, scratch until you get rid of all the J hooks. Or not to get all the, rid of the, change the lines. Then you're going to do the pulls. And then they wouldn't come up to me and say, am I done? Because that would drive me crazy. Am I done? You tell me. Did you do what I told you to do? Because then you can see if you're done or not. Like if you still have J hooks at 220, you need to do a few more pulls at 220. There you go. That's a little bit of wow. Uh, well, it, it, here's the thing. Here's the other thing about I'm, that. And I this is this is what this is what would have helped you too. Because I think that mentally, hand sanding sucks because there's a little bit of I don't know where I am. So if you have like a structured s- system that works, you know, I do. I for some reason I've been doing a lot of you know similar. You know, I've been comparing it to running. I used to run a lot. And I used to like running on the same courses because I could identify trees and I knew where I was in regards to the race. If I would run on a race that I'd never run before, I would have this mental uh, lapse and I would feel like I don't even know how long I'm supposed to run for. But if you run on the same course, you see trees, you see rocks, you see street signs. You're just like, okay, I'm halfway there. Or I go over this hill, I know where I am. And then you mentally gets you over the hump in terms of the drudgery of running. It's the same thing with, 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 um, with hand sanding because you, what you end up doing is you give yourself this men- these mental milestones of, I know that I'm almost done. I know that I'm rounding third and I'm almost finished. And that's the, hard, that's the part that gets people crazy is because you, it's a little bit too all over the place in terms of what you want to put into it. There you are. Ready to go to the next question? Let's do it. All right, go ahead. Uh, this is from Fudge 3 uh, Can I ask you a question? I'm trying to make the move from the restaurant industry into my own small business in Metal Fab and maybe knife making in the future. I'd be more than appreciative to any advice you could provide looking for the best ways to get going and any information on potential pitfalls I could experience. Love the podcast, guys. Thanks for making Monday inventory more enjoyable. Monday inventory is brutal. You know what that is? Yes. That's where you. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. you're counting your counting your lines on your uh, booze. So you're counting the lines, how much booze we got, and you got to bring it in. All right. Uh, so what do you think? What you've been in business before? I was a terrible business person. <laughs> well, you know me too. Okay. Uh, R and D, product testing, know your market, talk to people in the field. I'm telling you, ever since this this knife job, I find myself in really excellent conversations with hunters and fishermen and butchers, Sweet Cheeks Cheeks Meats and Jackson. I talk to them all the time about their knives. What do you like? What do you not like? Like, know who you're going to sell to. Right. Know who these people are and what they want. Now, don't just dive in and be like, oh, I want to make X, Y, and Z, because you might be the only person that wants to make that or likes that. Whatever it is, bottle opener. That's I don't a, know. That's an excellent. That's an excellent point. That's a, that's the business. Talk. That's a good business point. I think a lot of people think that. All right, I know how to make a knife, and now I should start selling them. 
I mean, no. that's what happened with me because I was I saw I see metal I see knife making the same thing as metal working and sculpture. So I wasn't doing R and D. I was selling to my friends and giving it to my friends and you know getting you know help in terms of what they liked and stuff like that. But because they would probably come to you and say, "This one's not cutting very right. well." Yeah, I made some changes because I luckily for me I'd have a customer saying, you know, this isn't really doing it for me, and I'd say send it back. And right. but that's great, yeah. Having knowing your market and 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 but also getting the systems down. I think that you know business business is important, but part of business is the economics of the efficiency of what you're doing. So knowing what you're doing, knowing what it takes, knowing your overhead, and Saying to yourself, having real conversations is important. I would suggest before you just, you know, buy a metal shop in an anvil, I would start taking classes, learn how to do it, let it get it down to the point where, like, if you're a cook, you know, you, if you don't know how to cook, you don't say, I want to open up a restaurant, let's start making eggs. You know, you got to like, you got to have to know how to do it. And then you can say, okay, this isn't working for me. How can I make this work for a business? Ah, good question. Good, good question. I would say, I would say, um, I would see what Ashley said. Do whatever she said is fine by me. I, I'm with you. All right. This comes from Robin Quincy. What's the best patterns to start with when making Damascus other than twist patterns? What did you guys do at the uh, New England School of Metalwork? We did the folding, 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 and then we did the ladder. He showed us the, the ladder and the... Yeah, I shouldn't say anything about the class. Well, you because, could talk. I mean, that ladder okay, pattern ladder isn't a secret. Okay, yeah. well, I mean, they, we, we, <laughs> they got dies and they boom, 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 and then they make a ladder and they forge okay. it down. That was basically the, I guess that's the basic. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go, if you go on to, if you go on to CJ Dufton, my buddy Cliff, I mention him all the time. Cliff actually did a, a, a Damascus knife and he, it was his first forging of Damascus. And what he did was he had John Ariani like just they just hit with the ball peen, mm -hmm. and they just made it turned out to to be like a raindrop pattern. I'm not Mr. Damascus, but you can just it, the beauty of just forging the shit out of something and doing random. I know that guys like uh, uh, Bob Rankin does a random pattern of Damascus. Um, I think that you don't. I I've done a twist pattern once there in Wilburn. It's, I understand that it's hard. I think you can also do raindrop pattern by hitting it, hitting your billet with um, a drill press with different drills yeah. and then forging it down. So then it kind of moves all those layers back and forth and it creates that raindrop pattern. That would be a good one. That's easy to do if you don't, especially if you don't want to get involved with twisting. No 90 degree angles, dude. What does that mean? Because you can, you can create cold shots. Your Damascus. There you go. That's that's what you learn when you go to the New I England School of Metal. I shouldn't have said that though. That's but it's not. Such a, that's I don't a want everyone tease. to go out there and do a raindrop and then it fails every time they do it. That's a really important situation. So don't listen to me. Listen to AC. Go to the New England School of Metalwork and ask them. All right, but they're not here. It's Nick Rossi and I on this podcast. It's me and AC. <laughs> so uh, why don't you take the next one? Oh boy. Uh, this is coming from Joa Mock. Joe Mock? Yeah, go ahead. Right. Doesn't matter. We screw the people's names up all the time. All right. I love it. That's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> what do you do if your wife asks you for a free knife? You fucking make it. Yeah. You fucking make it. It just don't it keep your mouth shut and don't ask questions. Just if she wants something, you make it. I'll tell you why. She's gotta put up with your bullshit. She's gotta put up with your bullshit. And if she shows any interest in what you're doing, you fucking encourage that. So if she wants something. 
She wants some. My wife is so sick of of metal. I've been <laughs> I made her a metal rose when I was in college, and she's like, "Oh, this is That's amazing." So sweet. Yeah, it's sweet for the first one, and then the second one, oh, another metal flower. <laughs> it's some bullshit. She doesn't want to see steel in our house. That's why, luckily, I have a shop. Mm. But like, she doesn't. The, the the magic is gone with her and metal. She's had it. She doesn't interest. So if your wife wants a free knife, you fucking make it. Okay. Anything to add? I would if if my if I had a husband, I'd yeah. be like, come and make one with me. Let's do it together, homie. I think that's an even better be idea, really J O Mac. And then what? Yep. That's a romantic situation right there. You I get you romance. get you get your you get your <laughs> wife in there. And have her have her do it with you. That's a very good idea. My wife has no interest. None, and it's fine. Yeah, if she has any interest, don't. Fine. Maybe I think those are two great. AC. Yeah, I know who to call. I know who to call when I got my questions. Okay. The next question comes from. All right, this is a good one. Uh, You take this one. Which one? Robinson. Robinson's knives. Hey, buddy, I met you at. You ask Robinson, then I'll hit the next one. Go ahead. Uh, Robinson's Knives. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? What's the best way to get a satin finish with 800 grit sandpaper? I always get mirror spots. How do I avoid that? Easy. I'm, I, my, listen, if you want to have the best satin finish, go watch Nick Wheeler videos. We're actually, I'm sure, this, we're, 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 we're podcasting from the past, and I think that there might have been a Nick Wheeler video, a Nick Wheeler interview last week i'm talking to the pat whatever he said is fine if you do if you get these mirror spots those mirror spots are you've hit your bottom what you can do is let's say you're at an 800 grit pull back to a 600 grit and just do some passes and what you'll do is you'll create a simple if you'll create a simple satin finish so if you're having problems and you're getting those mirror finishes drop back to a coarser grit and just do some pulls. And then what you'll do is you'll establish a, a bit of a more of a matte, a duller finish at a lower grit, but not go, don't hop down to 36. You're at 800, hop down to 600, give it a few passes and take a look and see what you think. And then you'll establish a very consistent um, grit. All right. Next question is from Roar Blades. I love this question. Um, I have a client that was pretty normal in the beginning. I guess, but within time turned into a real asshole. I began a project with them and they initially agreed on the design and the measurements of the blade. After the heat treatment was done, they realized the blade was too short. I told them that those design design decisions were agreed upon in the beginning and they told me that they didn't think it was necessary to clarify the length of the blade. (laughs) Also, they own a big sushi restaurant and they kept bragging about how this is going to be the greatest opportunity for my business to grow. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I think this client is more trouble than they're worth. What would you do? What do you think? Yo, I won't. I, don't, don't get taken advantage of. And I, I don't like the vibe. Yeah. Honestly, I don't like this, these people's vibe. Yeah. I don't want that in my life. But... I I have had these situations and I have a different I have a different I'm probably not going to be a very popular opinion to some of you guys who just do whatever the hell you want you do whatever the hell you want I sometimes I feel like I'm going to win this person over and sometimes it's happened oh you're making a face <laughs> I actually had I had someone who 
who um and they're when i said win them over sometimes i feel like just make it just make the make a new knife and you'd be done with them get this one done and be done with them take the knife that they didn't want sell it to someone else it's not the end of the world it actually it can be good customer service however it some people are more trouble than they're worth i'm working with someone now who is a pain in the ass and i am i am bending over backwards to make sure that i make this person happy for my own to see if i can actually do it it i'm not saying that it's the best idea i think that make the knife my opinion is make the knife sell the knife take the knife they made sell it again and stop with the bus- with their with their business but know this never fall for the banana in the tailpipe of wait till you see how much business you're going to be getting from me that's all talk that's all bullshit you know if people are on tv people on the if you're going to redo the knife do it because you want to do it don't feel taken advantage of don't deal with someone you know you really want to establish these things early on in the beginning you really want to um you really want to be true to yourself you don't want to fuck around this person might be too much trouble than they're worth you maybe if you can salvage and say oh, i can make i'll make the knife for someone else is fine if you can do that do it you should establish this in the beginning this person's a total asshole i take it back fuck them how you like that i oh, turn I my like i turn I, you just I turn, yourself I, you know what the funny thing is, is the funny thing is normally when i normally when i do this podcast <laughs> i'm by myself but as soon as i started saying maybe you should try to make this person happy i look over at ashley and she's scrunching up her face like what the fuck's the matter with you and all of a sudden i'm just like whoa this is crazy this is the totally i'm not nor, i'm not used to like having like uh in real time my face descent. Says, you can't see my face but it's <laughs> my yeah, face is talking it was per- you were absolutely right i was wrong i was Although, wrong wait, i mean the first part of your answer was legit I, look, I, I also believe in, uh, I believe in, you know, I come from the restaurant business where customer service is, is as important, if not imp- more important than, than what you're doing. Tony and I really believe in kind of white glove service and we want people to have a great experience. Sometimes a little good press is they really took care of me. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I have my, a lot of people say, well, what do you do when you have a problem with your customer? If a customer has one of my knives and they got a problem, I tell them, send it back, no questions asked, I'll take care of it. I want them to be happy because what they'll say is to their friends is, this guy took care, this person took care of me. And that is almost as important as your final product. I know guys who make knives. I know guys who bought knives from guys that I know and say, that guy was a pain in the ass to work with, total asshole, and be aware and all I could think of is, eh, I don't think I'd want someone to talk to me, talk about me that way in business. Yeah. So you have to kind of play both. You have to like, you got to take a little bit from plan, uh, from A and B. Well, let's get to the next one. Uh, this one's from Ben Dash Eustace. Okay. What's in your veggie garden for this season? I have uh, a lot of dog shit. My dogs <laughs> run around our backyard. My wife and I cannot grow. My wife and I are terrible gardeners. Um, I have my dogs pee everywhere and it makes me, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. So all I can think of is I certainly don't want anything that's been stepped on by one of my dogs. We do have a lemon tree in the house and that's the only thing we've ever been able to make sure that it works. And it's only been a few months and it actually works, but we're not, I'm not a gardener. 
my wife did some uh, tomatoes in a in a uh, half barrel, and those worked out pretty good. You ever do you ever do you ever garden? Mm. I'm just watch my mother do it. There growing you go. Up, there but, you go. Uh, so I love my own veggies. What garden. does she make? She she does a lot of tomatoes. Tomatoes and, are good. Uh, peppers. All right. And a beautiful rose garden. Well, there you go. Lady, lady's got a green thumb. I got the metal thumb. She's got the green thumb. There you go. We have a we have a brown thumb. We're we're not. We always talk about, about doing succulents, man. Cacti Fine. and succulents. This is New York State. The, the, the succulents don't work up here. Okay. Not well. Maybe they do. I don't know. All right. Next question comes from. I I like this question. A Great lot. Wolf Tactical. How do you get better at hammer control on a rainy day and dark nights when I can't be outside ruining steel? Bonus points if it doesn't wake up the wife and kids. AC, what do you got? Go to your local art store. Okay. Go buy a slab of hard clay. Baby, go open up that package, slice it up into, you know, rectangular, whatever shapes, and... Go for it. That's how you learn how to move mass. And it's super quiet. You don't even need a fancy hammer. You can do it on your kitchen counter. What do you think? That's an excellent thing. And I was actually going to say the same thing. Because that's actually how uh, Uri Hoffa used to figure out how to do his power hammer leaves. And he would actually, in the class, he'd pull out the plasticine. And he would forge the plasticine on the hammer, on the anvil, with the hammer. And he would forge it the same way he would do the steel. Obviously, it's faster, and you don't have to hit as hard. But that's also a way that you can figure out how to do Damascus patterns, because yeah. if you have alternating colors and you put them together the exact same way, you should be able to uh, figure out how to make Damascus in the pattern that you want. I love this idea, and that is... Awesome, Jerry Coe Jerry in the first class had slabs of clay, and he's like, here, just hand it to me. Here, use this real quick. And it, I was like, I mean, th- that metal is clay when it is hot. Exactly. Basic, exactly. That's no, basic blacksmithing. A thousand percent. Forging steel is just a slower way of playing with Play-Doh, except you can't use your fingers because <laughs> no. it's too hot, and no. you have to work a little bit harder. Excellent. Boop, boop. We did it. You yes. did it. You did Next. it. Go ahead. Dawson Ader, when starting a blacksmithing business, what small items sell well as sort of a kickstart to help the business grow before it becomes a financially viable business? Good question. What would you do? Oh, dude, that's a tough question. Um, Bottle openers. Oh, steak turners. Bottle openers. Steak Hi, turners okay. are good. High quality impulse purchases. Oh, tell me more. Go ahead. Like what? Like a really, really nicely refined bottle opener. People like bottle openers. But not some... Piece of shit? Piece of shit. I, you know what? <laughs> Here's the thing. Oh, look. We said it. What are you going to do? What, are you, what can you say? There's no... I'm sorry. Life is no. too short for shitty ironwork. It's just too short. I think that there are very easy ways in which you can make things that are very sellable. I think that bottle openers, my opinion is that bottle openers are one of the best things you can do to learn how to make things. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot, that's what a lot of people do. It's, a, it's an inexpensive way to kind of get involved and become a better blacksmith. Um, steak turners are great. You know, uh, candle, candle, holders. candle holders. 
Yeah. But really, when you when you think about guys like back to uh, Yvonne Chouinard, you know, a piton isn't like this incredibly difficult thing to make. Uh-uh. He figured out something that was simple that he needed. So maybe there's something that in your life that it, you have a need for that you might be able to like a like a something you rest your what are those a trivet? You know, there's a lot of different like a trivet for your pot when you want to take the pot off the stove. Mm. Or there's something in your life that I'm sure you could be innovative to think I can make this and make people happy. I make these spoons; they're a lot of fun. They're not super difficult. There's a lot of little things that you could make that would be great. I think the most important thing is to think about something that you really need and try to make it as best you can and see what happens. There you go. That's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I try. I Honestly, this is like, I'm going to talk to AC. All you guys can just chill out for a second. <laughs> I don't want to be helpful. I want to tell dick jokes. There have not been any dick jokes. I need in your dick jokes right, in my life. Fine. We'll see what we can do. We'll okay. see how it goes. What do you think? Who AC over here at box tongs? Uh, I, I talked know. about the box tongs before. The box tongs don't work for this reason because they already exist. Okay, whatever. But right. I thought it was funny. Fine. It was funny. I, I didn't say it wasn't funny. <laughs> don't worry. I'm with you. I'm, hey, well, I'm a woman. And uh, yes, every you class, are. Every usual situation. Yes, you everybody are. Everybody else is a dude, so you, I'm going to throw shade I, as best I can. I am treating you as I would treat anyone. <laughs> I think the dick-tonging is definitely something that men and women can do. You are right. There should be something for that is a little bit more appropriate. I personally think it's funny. It's great. It's funny I if, a, if a woman says dick-tonging, also, I don't have a problem with that's it. That's a fabulous way for... Just holding your tongs. That's right. The third hand. And if it's if your anvil's too high, go get a box and stand on the box, and then you've got better leverage. There you go. All right. Next question comes from Seth Hunter Blades. Hey, dudes. I was wondering what y'all do when you get in a creative slump. Been on one lately, and I'm trying to come up with new designs. P.S. Love the podcast. What do you do if you're in a creative slump? Dude, I, I get away from everything that has anything to do with what I'm forcing. You can't force creativity. Go to the movies, go to the gym, go for a hike, go take a road trip. Uh, get away from the project or whatever it is. I get my best ideas when I'm walking my dogs. Driving cross country. Driving cross country. When you have time, it's almost, it's a, they're both are very meditative. Yeah, very. Because yeah. You don't, you're not, you can think about something, you can think about something. Sometimes Hiking. things come to you and, and, and in, the, in these moments that you don't expect. Like I'm all, when I walk my dogs, I'm always, I always, there's something like a question for the podcast or even when I was walking the dogs, I was thinking about how we're going to do the podcast with Ashley. I always, sometimes some little thing will happen and I'll have a little bit of spark of like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I could do that. That's what I would do. All right. We're, uh, it's tough. Uh, it's tough. You have to work yeah. through it though. Don't Ultimately, force it. don't force you it, but can't. also don't like sit and watch TV. Yeah. You know, turn the TV off. It's it's enough with the TV. Go hiking. Go hike. I like All right, hiking. go ahead. What's the Moss next one? Moss Knives. Moss Knives would like to know if you three, oh, well, it's two if we now. have any recommendations on shop disposables that we use a lot. Uh, this includes bandsaw blades and drill bits is my primary concern. Drill Doctor? Drill Doctor is one of those little things that you buy, those things that fixes your drill bits. Okay. Looking for the Rhino Wet of bandsaw blades. Thanks. Chris is oh, well, everything shop says I'm okay. yeah, I should have edited that shop note. So I actually reached out to Chris Zepp. I've talked about him all the time. Uh, make everything shop. He's he's very, very attuned. I'm, I talk about him all the time. He's a good buddy of mine. I asked him because I wanted to see what he says. 
And he says that Portoban blades from Milwaukee, from Home Depot, are what he has found to be the best in terms of price and longevity. The 14 TPI two-pack is 15 bucks. He likes drill bits that are titanium-coated Ryobi bits. You can get those at Home Depot, too. Believe it or not, for heavy-duty applications, he buys single bits from McMaster Car, solid cobalt, and they're really, really good. Yeah, McMaster Car is great for... Um, for it. Look, it, the, the reason why we use the, 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 the Portoban blades is because they're easy to get a hold of. They're, the blades are standard. They go, they're meant for metal. They're great. I do the Milwaukee two-packs. Sometimes I get the Lennox online. Um, shout out to wherever you get it from. Sorry for mentioning you-know-who, but you, these things happen. And um, McMaster Car is definitely a good place. And also, if you needed a piece of steel, you know, like a small, weird little piece, they're pretty good for that, too. Like, like my, we're going to do some spoons out of, uh, when, when this is all over, we're going to do some spoons out of 304 stainless, uh, half-inch round. I got a McMaster. I can get a master McMaster car. All right. Next question comes from JPH. Hey guys, what are some good dishes to make for increasing knife skills and testing out knife performance? Steak. Steak. Steak's easy. Yeah, but you can tell like how well how sharp it is and yeah. getting your lines right. And then hard veggies like carrots. Broccoli. I I don't know. I I eat a lot of veggies. I need to eat, I don't eat that much steak. I need Not to eat like more all steak. The time, well, but, that's fine. You know, I understand. I got a best butchery where I live. So. Sweet cheeks butchery? No, sweet cheeks meat. Sweet treats. Sweet My cheeks. Homie. Sweet che- sweet cheeks meats. Shout out to sweet cheeks meats. Yes. It's a tough name to say. I know, but they're the fine. best butcher in town. No problem. I will tell you, I started making when I got back from Spain over the summer, I started making Spanish tortillas. And it's a, it's like an omelet with potatoes. And so you're on, you cut a lot of potatoes and basically what you're doing is you're sauteing up and softening up the potatoes with a, in, in a frying pan with a little onions, but don't just hear me. You can go watch a new video from a simple little life. Jeremy from simple little life did a video of how to make Spanish tortillas. And it's a lot of knife skills because you're cutting uh, potatoes. Potatoes are very good for figuring out how your knives cut. If your knife cuts the potato and the cut the cut piece shoots across the room, that means your geometry isn't, you know, optimal. You know, that's the thing with the uh, the root vegetables. When you're cutting them, uh, carrots and potatoes, there is this potential for cleaving, and they like. I used to make my first knives. They didn't have good geometry, and I cut a carrot, and the carrot would shoot across the room. So go watch Simple Little Life's new video on how to make a Spanish tortilla. It's a great dish, hot or cold. It's terrific. Um, it's, it's a great dish. Simple Little Life. Go make that. Go ahead. Next question that I have a lot to say about. All right. All right. Let's bring it on. James. Bring it on, AC. We're doing good. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're doing great. James Green, what constitutes making a knife? Like, what's the bare minimum you can do and still call yourself a knife maker? Because I had a guy tell me the other day that he makes knives, that I should see the beautiful knives he's made. He then proceeded to ask where he could purchase a finished blank for a knife his daughter wanted him to make for her. I just told him, I don't buy blanks, I make knives. Maybe I'm a little bit of a jerk. But I don't think you can call yourself a knife maker if all you do is buy finished blades and bolt scales to them. That's from uh, 
Dapper Dane Forge. James T. Green. What do you think? All right. So go ahead. Here we go. Go ahead. You ready? All the time. I think everyone just needs to take a deep breath. And the people who forge out their blades, that does not make you better than someone who does stock removal or assembly work. Whatever the guy wants to call himself, it's none of your business. Stick to what you know. You don't know that, you know, if you don't know where he should buy a blank, you're like, I don't know. Sorry, dude. Good luck. But guess what? If you're a maker and you're making, then you're just a maker. It's, it's not really your business. I like this answer. I mean, AC, AC with AC with the, this is a very Zen AC right here. I don't have time for your shit. I, I'm, I have a more of a problem with the pigeonholing of what we do. Because yes. I've, the, the more I do all this stuff, the less likely I want to pinch my, I never really call myself a bladesmith. I do hashtag bladesmith on the, on the, on the posts I forge, but I'm really, I don't, when I was started as a blacksmith and I call myself a blacksmith, my wife was like, eh, what are you, one of these old guys with a beard and praying to Thor? What's going on? And so I, I got very, I got very, and I fucked myself up too for years. I called myself a steel sculptor and that oh. pigeonholed me in regards to when I was dealing with galleries and artists. So. I do have a thing with like the whole idea of pigeonholing in regards yeah, to what people like say. And I do think, I do agree with you. Let the person live their life and let them have, you know, don't let their, judge. Keep your judgment let to their, your let best them, friends and your therapist. Don't yuck Just... their yum. As, the, as we <laughs> no. say to our daughter, right? I like that. Yeah. That's no. what we say to our daughter. Our daughter say, I don't want to eat that. And we say, well, don't yuck my yum. Let them don't, yeah. and I don't, and don't stomp out on people's joy. But at the same time, as I've said in the past, just don't lie. Yeah. Be honest. Acceptance. Acceptance high. Uh, 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 expectations low. Acceptance high. I'm with you. All right. That was a very good one. I liked your answer. AC's answers so far have been way better than my answers. Your and I'm going to... answers are great. Leave me alone. All right. <laughs> next one comes from... This is an easy one from Felix Daimling. What do you like more? Pizzas or burgers? Go ahead. Uh, burger. If I have to... It's a tough choice. Rare. I'm going pizza. Rare. You like a rare burger? I like my meat rare. Really? Really? Good. Yeah, really good meat though. I grew up eating rare meat. My father was he really was a he was a very accomplished cook and he always just served us rare meat. And when I went to culinary school, my culinary teacher said to me, "When you're cooking steak, medium rare is the optimal temperature for tasting the flavor of the beef." Yeah, that's true. When you're cooking rare, you lose because that yeah, that's the whole thing about eating hot and cold foods. Like, you know, if you're making ice cream, you have to if you if you took ice cream and melted it down and cooked it at room temperature, it's too sweet. It's the same thing with smoked salmon. If you cure smoked salmon and you ate it at room temperature, it's too salty because when the food is cold, it needs something to bring it back. That's why when you, if you have leftovers and you put them in your refrigerator and then you eat them out of the refrigerator, they, they have a little bit of a blandness because you, you, that cold kind of like comp takes away a little bit of the flavor. So I think that there's something to that with rare. So I was at first when culinary school, I'm like, I eat everything rare. My teacher's like, no, we're eating everything medium rare. So you can taste how it's supposed to taste. And I'm a mid rare guy for that reason, because all of a sudden you can really taste a lot of the complexity. Yeah, of the I'm meat. with you on that. But I burgers are tough too. Burgers are tough, rare too. 
because usually they're not seized, they're seasoned on the outside mm-hmm. and they're not seasoned on the inside. So if they're seasoned on the inside, you're you're getting a much more bland burger if it's big. Yeah. Because it's not. That's why steak tartare is over seasoned because you're eating it cold. Like they or if you had a room temperature steak tartare, it's going to be too salty. But the 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 cold retards a little bit of that mm. flavor. I would say I'm a pizza guy. I like burgers, but I had a pizza at Frank Pepe's in in Connecticut. Goddamn, that thing is unbelievable. I mean, it is unbelievable. I think that pizza and not pineapple pizza. We're not going down this road of pineapple pizza. Uh oh. You like pineapple pizza? Someone said I was going to get in trouble with you. No, yeah. no one's in trouble. You like what you don't yuck my yum is, is, is <laughs> don't yuck my yum is what I'm I really saying. Like, you really like it? I like I like a little. Oh, that's sweet. an abomination. I that's like fine. I'm with you. Fine. Listen. <laughs> with the pepperoni though. Pepperoni and, and pepperoni and pineapple. You have to with that. I like it. I like what I like. I won't yuck your yum. It's crazy. <laughs> Listen, I'm on, I'm like apparently I'm alone in this podcast because Craig and Mareko both like pineapple pizza too. I've had sure it once as Dave, it. Dave, sure. Dema- fucking Damascus Dave says that I ate it at the Center for Mental Arts when I was at a class and I liked it. I don't know if I liked it. I tried it to see. It's just like, I like pizza because I like the contrast between the creamy cheese, the acidic tomatoes, and the, and the coal, uh, preferably a coal-fired crust. I like those simplest. I see pizza like sushi. And these simple um, peanut butter and jelly, these simple um, contrasting tastes, and that's why I like pizza. I personally, here's what I'm going to say, and this is going to be the last time. Please don't send me more pictures of pineapple pizza. You guys are always sending <laughs> me a billion of them. I am now, this is more. the end of the year. Merry Christmas. I yield. Enjoy what you enjoy. Love, live your life. I won't yuck your yum. From now on, I will never say a bad thing about what you like, especially pineapple pizza, even though in my mind, in my heart, I know it's abomination. Enjoy yourself. So there we have it. We've, all right, I, I yield. Listen, AC's, AC's the voice of reason on this podcast. It's fine by me. I'm, I'm, all, I'm, re, I'm reevaluating all my answers because she's actually making a lot fucking more sense than I am. I'm not used to somebody in the room, in the, in the, in the podcast with me that you actually makes a lot. In the car? In the car. Yeah, she squishes <laughs> up her face. I'm like, oh, I fucked up that one. All right. This is amazing. <laughs> so the next question is going to be uh, from TW Blades. We're looking good. We're looking good. TW Blades, I've been looking into a hydraulic press for use in making knives like Damascus and integral knives. I don't exactly have three to five grand laying around, and I have seen some people convert their hydraulic wood splitter into a small shop press. What are your thoughts on this? Love the show. Keep up the good work. What do you think? Squinching up your face. Here's my opinion. I thought the same thing. I had a friend of mine who bought a log splitter. He and his buddy bought a log splitter, uh, a gas-powered log splitter. And the first thing I saw was, I was like, the first thing I thought of was like, these motherfuckers get rid of this log splitter. I might grab it because it is going to be a, I mean, a log splitter, Mm -hmm. all you would have to do is just change your dies, is just do a little welding and change your dies and you can make a press out of a log splitter. Depending on the tonnage, I would imagine. I don't know exactly how log splitters are. I don't know if you're going to get as much uh, tonnage as like a sixteen pound, a sixteen ton, or a twenty-five ton. I don't know how. I don't know how they even make log splitters. I would imagine you don't need the kind of uh, force on a log splitter cutting logs as you do um, forging Damascus. I know that the boys can you you can use uh, people make sixteen ton presses and those work great. 
if you want to, I mean, you're, if it's a gas-powered log splitter and you don't want to, you want to bring it in your shop and carbon monoxide your whole family out, yeah. that might be a problem. But mm-hmm. you, I mean, it can be. I'm. I thought about this, and it can be done. But at the same time, if you're going to buy a, a press, there are companies that sell presses. But also, you can go on to um, you can go on to Craigslist. You can go on to their sites. I know Abana has sometimes they'll they'll post about stuff that their people are selling. Um, you might get the same price, maybe even a better price if you got to use press. All right. Sounds good. Fine. We're good. Thank God. You didn't scrunch up your face. That, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> All right. Go on to the next one, AC. Uh, big Forge blacksmithing. Hey, man. Uh when I was grinding a blade the other day, there were all sorts of ha- small steel slivers that ended up in my hands. What is the best way to get these out? What do you think? Well, I'm not a doctor, dude. I didn't go to med school. Okay. But, all right, uh, all right. well, you there know. is a sliver situation when you're drilling uh, soft Damascus tangs. Yeah. Getting I them out. The slivers I've always gotten is when I'm using a die grinder. Like a die grinder, like a Dremel that mm. moves like with a diamond bit. You're, you do get... Uh, nitrile gloves, those like latex gloves, are great, especially when it's cold. Like now that it's cold, um, I'm wearing those uh, disposable gloves when I'm grinding more, and my it keeps my hands cold, my hands warm, but also there is a little bit of protection of bouncing off those slivers. Mm. Let's answer a couple more questions. We'll hit a couple tips. We'll do a beef or two, and then we'll fuck off. Does okay, that sound good? Let's fuck off and make a spin. Yeah, let's make some folder. Yes, yeah, right. We're gonna forge a little bit. So, um, I'm going to hop down to, what's a good question here? Um, let's just keep going. So, this one comes from LPMJ. Pricing for beginners. What's the most important thing you can do when you don't have a name in the knife-making community yet? What do you think about pricing? God, dude. Cost of materials plus time times two. Oh, I like the times this two. Is, this is Keystone Jewelry, but I, I don't know. I like the times two. I got. Uh, I like the times two. Well, yeah, that's Keystone. Triple Keystone is times it by three. Hmm. I, I that's, that's when I'm starting making that's knives, different. I wanted to make sure. Sh- I wanted the first like fifty of them. I really gave them away, and I was and I and then when I the people that I was selling to was friends and family and college oh. roommates. Friends and family discount. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I gave it, I would, I would say, I don't know, you know, I was keeping it very reasonable because I wanted to get them out of the shop. And then as I was doing a bit more, I have a different philosophy in regards to my pricing. And a lot of people do. I want to, you know, but that's a different story. I think it's like what you can, usually when somebody makes something and it's, it's like when they're making anything and people say to me, well, what do you think I should charge? I usually say, what's the lowest you'd be willing to take without getting upset? And then add a little more. So if they, you know, I think that that's really, you know, starting out and figuring out what's the lowest amount you don't, you're not going to kill, you're not going to be bummed out or mad that you gave it away. I right. think that's really, I like times too. I like times too. I mean, you want your money back in materials for sure. Ah, but knife making, it's, it's, it's you know, the materials is cheap. So maybe your time is worth way more than well unless well, you're unless you're education. sitting around watching you know looking on instagram you're spending money on educational stuff like classes uh, take that in consideration that's serious well i think that's a good idea right. you know what you should do you should go to get some good sandpaper from Andasa usa 
And Dossier USA makes kick-ass sandpaper. I'm telling you, they sent me a pile of it. It's awesome. They're made, they started making sandpaper for car body people. And it's meant for metal workers. Get the Rhino Wet from Mandasi USA. Rhino Wet's awesome. I mean, I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. It, you're going to be surprised at how good it is. Get some two. Here's what I think. Get yourself a pack of 220 Rhino Wet. Get some 400. And you can make it happen with just those two. You can make it happen with just 220. But, eh, get a little bit more, 800, whatever. If you... Use the Rhino Wet, you're going to be psyched. And if you get the Rhino Wet, go to Texas Farrier Supply. And if you punch in Knife Talk 10, you're going to get 10% off. Texas Farrier Supply is awesome for not just knife making stuff, they have blacksmithing stuff, farrier stuff. I think they even sell anvils. So if you wanted to go get and, people ask me all the time, how do you dye your, your file work, uh, dye, your epoxy? And I always say, get some epoxy dye. And they have that affects Texas Farrier Supply. So thank you, Indasa USA. Uh, go get yourself some Rhino Wet at Texas Farrier Supply. Put in Knife Talk 10 to get your 10% off. All right? You want to do a couple tips? Um, I'll start sure. off. This yeah. one comes from, and this, this is for the, this, this is a callback to the guy with the uh, wood, the, the wood splitter. Uh, okay. This is from Make Everything Shop, my buddy Chris Zepp. Make Everything Shop says, this is a tool tip. He's got, he buys a pile of tools. Like, it's like a little ridiculous. But fine. So what Chris says is a tool buying tip. Post at local stores. At local stores, um, people go to local stores and they look at the flyers uh, at supermarkets, local stores, hardware stores, where older, less internet inclined people visit. They have the good stuff. So a lot of people don't go on Instagram. A lot of people don't go on on Craigslist or eBay. They post in their supermarkets, mm. in their post offices, in their tool, in their, in like a tool yard, in like a, a hardware store. There are people, are, you'll, he's found a pile of stuff just by doing that. Best tools are the old tools. Best tools are the old tools. They you heard them. They make it. them like they used to. That's right. They, you, don't. they don't. Well, some do. Okay. I heard, I, some, I, I got some <laughs> shitty bullshit old tools are over here. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, Patrick Karlvik. Hey, you, you know what you should do? I just listened to the episode where you guys talk about the hardship of the relationship to used belts. I have a tip for you. If you already have two to three used belts of a grit on a hook or one on the floor, for that matter, when you swap for a fresh one, immediately rip the seam on the one you take off your grinder before you throw it. That way you don't have to think about it, having some life left or having it life left in it or not keep up the good work i'm really enjoying the show there you go rip it up don't it. think about it just rip it up and don't think about it that's what he says i like that all right here comes from north mountain knives here's a quick tip when scribing or getting your lines use a bill banky file guide to make sure your plunge plunge lines match Oop, just Sh saw one at josh's Sh shout out to bill banky makes great file guides file guides Come are good on. for File guides are good for um, getting your lines, your plunge lines the same. I'm with you. I love Bill. Bill, Forge and Fire champion. Ever tell mm -hmm. you that story? So Bill was on Forge and Fire. I might have mentioned it uh, a while ago. He sent me a message. He said, I'm going to be on Forge and Fire tonight. Don't <laughs> laugh. He, he's an older guy. Yeah. He said, don't laugh. I'm like, I turned to my wife and I'm like, oh, poor Bill. He lost. Oh. He lost. Next morning, he won the whole fucking thing. He told he he totally juked me. It was great. I, I destroyed everybody. He totally juked me. He said, "Don't laugh." I thought, "Ah, oh, poor guy. Poor guy got wasted." I'm like, "No, no, no, no." He juked me. Completely juked me. I was like, "Ah, poor guy lost. He blew the whole doors off." All right, go ahead. 
Um, Forging feathers. Oh, no, I don't have that one. Okay. Oh, I added it at the last minute. Yeah, I apologize. Oh, I apologize. You're throwing me off, man. No, I apologize. All right. All right this one it. comes from Forge and Feathers. It. Hey, cutie. Uh, you know what you should do on those chilly days? Now, this might be common sense, but my farrier told me years ago, so you can, on a cold day, warm up your tongs by running them over the fire before you start working. Warm tongs feel much better on the old meat hooks. I like that tip. That's a good tip. I never even thought about that. So you turn your forge on, you just run your your tongs, just past the the, the the lick of the flame, and you got some warm tongs in your hands. Do you have any tips you'd like to add? Yeah, I got a serious tip. Go ahead. Add. Let's hear it. It's a serious one. Go ahead. I'm ready. All right. So, uh, two things in terms of epoxy wearing gloves. Okay. There are some people become really allergic to the epoxy. Really? Yes. And you can develop blisters over time that will, that will start opening up sores all over your hands. I, honestly, I'm going to start wearing more gloves when I'm, when I'm doing my lashes. Really? Yeah. This is just the serious stuff. Second safety issue that I have, that it's actually a very personal health issue I've had. This is safety tip-wise. Ventilation, uh, knowing uh, caution stuff on the, there's a, there's a spray that we use for super glue. It's incredibly toxic. Now, I've spent years in dark rooms, uh, jewelry chemicals, and in my early 30s, I was going crazy, and I found out I had severe metal poisoning, mercury, arsenic, and lead, and uh, it's real. What did you, how did you do to fix it? I'm on a chelation DMSA protocol with a pathologist. Still? Yes, four years later. Oh my this god. This is serious stuff, you guys. This is a dangerous business. You're not invincible. You're not 13 years old and invincible. This is real. The Mad Hatter's disease, the mercury poison. Oh, that's, isn't that, uh. That's, that's real. What's that called? What I'm kind here of madness? To it's set called, the, um. Set it straight. I'm not fucking around with this. It's called, uh. I forgot what it's called. What cyanide. The... Well, there was cyanide, one of the jewelry. Um, there was a chemical I was using that could turn gold black. And had traces of cyanide in it, and I was breathing it, and I didn't give a fuck. I was young. I was like, ah, I'm just gonna make stuff, and here I am at 38, and I've got some severe. Still, mercury is the hardest one to get rid of. Manganese madness. Manganese, yeah. Manganese yeah. madness. That's what. Uh, that's yeah, what. Uh, that's real. That was what manganese madness was for. I. I. I it was. was yeah. The mercury and mercury and lead. Yeah, it's real. It sucks. It like hijacks your organs. So you guys, Jesus. Yes, it does. It sucks. It fucking sucks. So there you have it. Makes you crazy. Merry Christmas. Fucking put your shit together. (laughs) Get your shit together, guys. Get your respirators. Oh, don't 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 make your sandwiches near your fucking (laughs) chemicals. Yeah, come on, man. It's serious. Whoa. Yeah, it's serious stuff. Wash your hands. Wear your gloves, nitrile gloves, gloves. And all your ear and eye protection in those respirators, for real. So, well, that was a good one. I ain't going to add a tip I mean, that. so I'm just here to, you know, I'm here for everybody. You did a great job. I'm Do so, you, thank you. You're, this is fantastic. This has been a lot of fun, by the way. Let's get into some community showcase. Do you have any people you want to plug? No, I want you to do yours all first. Right. I want to give a, a shout out and to love to the great Tiger Lilies Smith. That's Tiger Lilies underscore Smithy. So amazing. She is an incredible bladesmith, and she does these beautiful knives, integral knives, hunters, 
She is a very, very talented person. I'm very happy that people like her are out in the world. Just because she's Jason Knight's daughter doesn't mean she doesn't kick ass. She knows, you know, if you want to, she's beating asses left and right. She's an incredible bladesmith. Tiger Lilies with an S underscore Smithy. She's fantastic. Go follow Tiger Lilies. She makes beautiful knives and hunters. I think, what are they, down in Tennessee, something like that? Yeah. All right. Tiger Lilies, we're with you 100%. That's the most beautiful blade I've seen. This last black handle one that she posted. Yeah. She's and we're a beast. Bodies. I met her at Blade Show. She's, she cool? She's young. She's incredible. She's really young, right? She's like 20 nothing. I was like, dude, you are so on your way. I can't wait. It's all these young kids. I'm going to probably forge with her uh, next spring. I'd sign up for any donors class at Penland because um, that's just what you do when uh, I'm with you. shit goes down. There you go. All right. Well. Um, Who you got? Well, I already talked about Josh. Josh so Prince. I'm, yeah, I'm Josh Prince. But you know what? Go ahead. He killed it at Blade Show. His knives are heirloom quality. He was a, play, a blacksmith of 31 years. Go ahead. David Tuthill. Okay. His his handle is Fire Horse Forge. I got to hang out with him in Seattle. Dudes, he's got it. I love his work. He's got the jeweler's eye. He did jewelry, blacksmithing. He's been making blades for eight years. I'm I I love his work. Outstanding. Follow, um, I follow him. He sold all his blades at the show. Dynamite. God the, bless you. The, the gallery, Daniel O'Malley's gallery. What can you? How, awesome, fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's those are two good, got it. two good community showcases. Um, might as well go in. If it's the end of the year, we're gonna have the next. Uh, well, either this next episode or the episode of that is gonna be the all beef review. Now's your chance to submit your beefs, your bitching, your moanings, your whinings. Doesn't matter. Send it in. We're gonna do an all episode of all beef, the all beef review. I love doing the all beef review. I am like pushing this motherfucker hard. I kind of wanted to do it every six months, but eh, we're gonna do it at the end of the year. So this is the time where you can go to Knife Talk Podcast and DM us your beef for the all beef review. Now you've heard this podcast before, AC. Do you have any beefs? Uh, smiling. <laughs> You're smiling. Well, you mentioned one. On go ahead. The last podcast. Uh, about tools. No, I've got something about social media. Go ahead. As a woman, we get a lot of shit. Before you make a comment, ask yourself, is it respectful, helpful, or encouraging? If it's not, don't bother. I mean, really. I, I don't it's, need to hear. You guys get it hard. We, it's bad. I block people at least once a week. It's, it's, you'd be surprised. I've gotten messages it's from... Some female knife makers, and I know that what well, you sent me one thing uh, a screenshot of a smile. Smile, like yeah. Told me, like, oh, you should just be smiling. I'm like, no, go fuck off. You, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. I think Would that it comes it? to the point. You wouldn't say it to Neil Kamimura. You might. He doesn't smile. No. <laughs> you might you say it to him. Like, why aren't but, you smiling? But there is. There, this you are in this very you. This it's is a very, very male dominated. Yeah. I can hold my own just fine. You heard this, her on the podcast. She's perfect. I, oh, I can hold. I'm my ready own. to call. If I quit, <laughs> she's taking my spot. No way, dude. I got. All right, go ahead. Go. All right, all right, all right. Um, and then the oh, second she got too much to do. She got too much to do. That's fine. I, I like that too. Is, all right. Go ahead. Stop giving a fuck what other people think, say, or do. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Getting into other people's business, what they call themselves, what they're doing. Sorry, bro. There's way more interesting things to be worried about. 
Stick to your own guns. Sage wisdom. Zen. Sage wisdom. Sage wisdom from AC. Double single track for the win. I'm with you. That was. That's a very that's high level. I you know what I hey, like I both your beats. Really, I worked really hard to get to this level. Clearly. Of, Clearly. You know, I've, yeah, I've been through some awful, stressful, traumatizing shit. And you worked through it. Past year really it, taught it, me a lot. It must be hard if you're working very hard and you're doing a good job and you're learning to have these kind of things that these people who are out of your control saying things to you that are not helpful, but in their mind, they think it's either clever or it's, it's condescending or it's sexist. No, they're just jealous. Or assholes. Or just, they just have nothing else to do, but I don't know. I don't understand it. I, I, you know, I, I'm very, you know, as a father of a daughter, I'm, and, and being, I, I grew up with sisters and my mother and I had a, there are a lot of women in my life. I am always been a little bit sensitive to how women are treated, and I'm glad that you're you're very uh, capable and, and you're not, very okay, you're very talented. For the record, I'm not doing Go this ahead. trade because I'm a woman. It's because I was no. Obsessed. So you love it. You're obsessed. I'm obsessed with Legos as a kid. Like I can't change that. I'm not here to prove anything. You're, I just is, happen is, to like the trade, and you guys all happen to be dudes. So all right, that's I'll, the way it is. I'll roll with it. Whatever. AC, AC in the house. Well, I was going to have a beef. But that was too good for what's, me. What's, what's your beef? Well, my beef is 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 it's my beef. I'm <laughs> I this beef was I planned only because it's very it's very uh, applicable to right this minute, which is I I I hate Art Basel. I don't know if you know what Art Basel is. I do. Art I Basel know. is a the art world, and I've listen. The art world is something that I talk about on the podcast. I tell you guys you're an artist, and it's this is the reason why. I was involved with the art world for a while, to the point where I had galleries, I had a dealer. These people are scum. These people are scum. You, they make you become a prostitute, and they're the pimp. And as long as they can wheel you out, now as long as they'll wheel you out, they'll squeeze every nickel and dime out of you as possible. So Art Basel just had this show down in Miami every year. It's a, the biggest of the most contemporary art pieces and stuff like that. And it's a gallery. Usually dealers go down there, gallerists go down there, and then they kind of meet artists. It's a way for artists. It's basically a cattle call. So somebody put up a banana on a wall with a duct tape, and then they charged. Oh, for fuck's sake. Well, they charged $120,000. And and here's, here's the thing. Oh, God. So all of a sudden, everyone's sending you messages, well, is this art? Because I don't say, oh, my makers are artists, so they all say to me, well, is this art? This isn't art. And here's what I have to say. Art isn't just about things looking pretty. Art is supposed to make you talk. Art's supposed to make you think about things. Art's supposed to be, sometimes it's gratuitous. Sometimes it's un, It's not for your house. It's sometimes it's about you're, you're telling the story of commodity. A lot of times, very controversial work is very nonsensical. Sometimes pr- the price of the work is the actual art piece itself. Do I think it's... I, one thing I don't fucking throw... Speaking of bananas, I don't throw a banana in the tailpipe with you fucking people by saying, I haven't even brought up good art versus bad art. Because that's just going to make... I, I can't... My inbox can't handle any more of it. So what, what I, I stay away from that whole point. Do I think that that's art? If they say it's art, it's art. You don't have to like it. And I think that they're scum for being for doing it. However, 
They're smart as fuck because that was the only reason why anyone talked about Art Basel this year was a goddamn banana with the duct tape. Fuck you, Art Basel, <laughs> but also fuck you, everybody else who said, well, was this art? Well, you think this is art? Fuck it, I'll get you a banana and a duct tape here. Where's my $120,000? Guys, I don't know what to say other than I, I as artists, I hate you. As knife makers, I love you. I am a fan of the knife maker, and I'm, what I've tried to do is I'm protecting you from this scum of the earth world. I hate the art world. They're scum. Fucking scum. All they want is they want to squeeze. They don't celebrate you because of your talent. They're looking to see how they can take a piece of you. They're scum. Fucking scum. With that said, fine. I cannot thank you enough. Ashley Childs for sitting in on this podcast. We almost did two hours, and that was a pretty that was a breeze. Yeah, but that was fun. Did though. you have fun? I had a great All time. Right. I hope everyone out there listening had a good well, time. Well, Merry Christmas, you motherfuckers! I just have to tell you one <laughs> last piece of advice for Christmas. This is Christmas. I think be be a normal person. Don't bug bug your family about scratch. Listen, keep the knife in the night. This is a wonderful community. Talk to your community people. Be all, be great, be friendly, be helpful, be suggestive, be, be there for each other. But when you get home, don't talk to your family about the knives. They don't care. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your wife. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Be normal for Christmas. That's what I'm going to take away is be normal for Christmas. I think I hit all my plugs. We did it. We did it all. Ashley, you're Killing fantastic. You're fantastic. You guys, I wish I, I need you guys in my life for real. Well, like, I, we're doing I, the best we can. I'm Ashley here. Childs, I can't thank you enough for being here. You're it's been a total welcome. pleasure. I'm looking forward to all the great things you do in the future. Thanks. Thank yeah. you for being part of our podcast. Thank you. Everybody, have a wonderful Christmas, uh, and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, thank and you. that's the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.